Hello. Hello. Hey. Haunted Basement. The podcast. Episode 10. Ashley, you've been talking a lot about celebrity crushes today. <laughs> <laughs> what's going What's going on? You're the one who put me into this rabbit hole. So you have to explain it. What did you send us today? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about Hollywood recently. Is Hollywood dead? Is it alive? What's going on? And um, there was an article on The Ringer about Disney Channel in like the mid-aughts. And they ran a promo campaign about like the Disney Channel star kids are just like you. They want to express themselves. They want to express their ideas. So they had this ad where uh, all these kids, including Shia LaBeouf, are talking about like what musicians they like. Elton John, before he started singing Candle in the Wind, you gotta stop that, Candle in the Wind. Kids like you And I sent the video to Ashley and Bubba, and Ashley's like, <laughs> I thought I was going to marry Shia LaBeouf. No, no. I really no. thought I was. Come on. I know you find me irresistible, all right? And I don't fault you for that. Who could fault you? When I watched Even Stevens, I was like, that is my husband. The big papa with the big mama. He was cute. He was cutie. Uh, he was my celebrity crush. I think I wrote a, I don't know if it was an essay. I think it was like, where do you see your life going? And I was like, well, I'm going to meet Shia LaBeouf. We're going to get married. I think we're going to have two kids. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a boy and a girl. And that's going to be my life. My theory is that Shia LaBeouf was Mac DeMarco before Mac DeMarco was Mac DeMarco. He's sort of like indie sleaze before indie sleaze became a thing. I don't know who that is, so I can't agree or disagree. All right, well, my childhood crush was probably Sabrina the Teenage Witch. What's her, what's her name? Um, Melissa Joan Hart. She was a little bit old for you. Sam, what are you doing? Nothing. You're in a chat room again pretending to be a woman, aren't you? I like the attention. Age, you broke a huge barrier in the Serrano household by putting up that Rihanna poster. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Erotic. That's who I thought you were going to say, AJ. You used to say she was so spicy. What can I say? Uh, I did have a poster of Rihanna from, like, what, like, Umbrella Times? Yeah. It was tasteful. But there was something so, like... Spicy, as AJ Spicy said. about you, yeah, about you having that next to your Saving Private Rhyme poster <laughs> and your Two Towers poster. And what else was in the room? Atlanta Falcons wallpaper. Oh, <laughs> no. I take it back. She was probably my that was high school crush, not childhood crush. What are we talking? Yeah, about? yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Bubbles. Honestly, it was probably like a Disney princess or something because I had a phase. Either first or second grade, I would wake up at four a.m. in the dark, walk downstairs to the basement, <laughs> yep. put in put in a Disney movie and watch yep. it start to finish, <laughs> and then go upstairs and eat a bowl of cereal and get ready for school. And now you don't wake up. Ever. And now I don't wake up. Now I sleep till eight o'clock. You're making up for all that early wake yeah, up I know. time. That's right. No one liked Mary Kate and Ashley? As full house babies? No. Why oh. how would we <gasps> They had so I know, many but it takes two. and shows. It takes two. And I was always watching their shows. How in the world would you how how in the world did you even watch even Stevens? Because we didn't have cable growing up. So like did we have the Disney Channel? When there's a will, there's a way. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. I think like babysitting yeah. and at like friends' houses. I would invite I like, myself over to friends' houses just to watch cable wow. or to play video games. Wow. The truth is coming out now. I swear we had cable. We did. We had cable until we were about, until I was probably about nine. And then mom and dad, they cut the cable. I'm pretty sure they, they saw us watching Rocco's Modern Life and they didn't like it and they cut it oh what the hell i thought we just grew up like trying to watch anything on pbs like that dragon show dragon, dragon tales, tales yeah. dragon tales let's all go to dragon tales come along and take my hand let's all go to dragon tales butterfly in the sky <laughs> i can go twice as high
Is is Reading Rainbow the best theme song for a children's show? Um, it's pretty good, but there's some good ones out there. Take a look. Rory's been watching the old school Magic School Bus, and I told you guys this, but Lily Tomlin is the voice of Miss Frizzle. Yep. Which I did not know when I was watching it back in the day. I'll tell you what I think the best uh, children's show theme song is. Let's hear it. It goes a little something like this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, um, have we lost all of our listeners? (laughs) And I say... (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) <laughs> if we have any listeners left, we are we're gonna go down into the basement and talk to Chris LeBurge. Let's go. If we keep whatever that intro was, it's gonna be a nutty one. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Haunted Basement, the podcast. I'm AJ. I'm Bubba. And I'm Ashley. We're siblings. We run a production company called Haunted Basement. And this is our podcast where we talk about the movies, music, and pop culture that inspires and influences our video work. Joining us on the podcast today is somebody who has spent over a decade working in the entertainment industry, helping studios predict and track box office performance with such uncanny accuracy that it prompted one studio exec to nickname him the box office savant. After building the industry's first long lead campaign tracker, he went on to work for Sony Pictures as senior vice president of creative strategy and market research, where he rubbed elbows with the likes of Greta Gerwig and Quentin Tarantino. Currently, as president of Enact Insight, he continues his work in box office and streaming viewership forecasting for clients like Netflix, Amazon, Warner Brothers, and Universal. Chris LeBurge, welcome to the basement. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm blushing and sweating at the same time because I can't <laughs> believe somewhere on the internet I still have the box office savant thing up there. That is <laughs> oh, I I read it today. I read it was a few so entries. interesting. I read it too. Uh, I found the Tumblr today, and I was like, "Holy shit, that's incredible!" You found the Tumblr. I found the Tumblr. Twenty fourteen. It's still up there, <laughs> and it's good. Your writing is very good. Yeah, had you graduated and started it, or was that was that senior year for you? <sighs> Um, well, I could, I could walk you through that story really yeah, quick. Yeah, let's hear it. I okay, know. Um, let's hear it. So I was like a box office nerd from a very young age, which I'm guessing you guys can relate to, but I was, you know, from like age 12, I was going on boxofficemojo.com, looking up the box office grosses every mm-hmm. weekend, predicting the top 10 in their box office derby, um, and I didn't tell anybody, right? Like it, it wasn't something I'd brag about to my friends, like when we were playing baseball. Like, yeah, by the way, I just totally nailed the opening for <laughs> Spider-Man uh, this weekend. And I, at first, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I just would, you know, look at historical comps, and I would look at the stars, and I would look at what other films did, and and I would just kind of come up with a number. And and through trial and error, after years of doing it, I started to finally get the hang of it. Um, but I'm not a I'm not a stats guy. Like I didn't have a model that I was working on. That was one of my questions. Like, did you have a formula? It was really rudimentary stuff, right? Like I, I had an Excel doc, but it was it was very Wizard of Oz where I was behind the curtain and I was just basically coming up with a number in my head that was an educated right. guess. Um, but like it forced me to, to watch trailers more and just pay attention to marketing campaigns and start taking note of like, well, this seemed to work for this movie. This didn't work for this movie. Um, and then by the time I got to college, I was still doing this. I still wasn't telling anybody about it really. And then I got to senior year and all my buddies are getting these consulting gigs and finance gigs. And I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do, but I knew I probably wanted to work in in film somehow Mm -hmm. and i had already committed to this really terrible job out of college where i was going to sell stamps and coins uh through direct mail marketing but i thought oh good lord is that true it's true and i did it for six months (laughs) i literally (laughs) 
designed envelopes for this company that would say things like, your home is being repossessed. And then like people would open the envelope oh and it would say, God. just kidding. Like your home's not being repossessed, but do you want to buy 10 Buffalo nickels for a hundred dollars? Oh my God. <laughs> oh man. Everybody dreams of having that job, right? So yeah. <laughs> there was a career trip senior year of college uh, where you could go out to LA just to see what's out there, see what's out there in the industry. I'd never even been to LA before. And um, one of our meetings was with a guy who was the president of marketing at Universal Studios. And, you know, there's probably like 25 of us there, uh, college kids. We don't, we don't really know what we're doing. And mm -hmm. he's, he's giving a lecture about how he markets films and I don't know, just like the different techniques and, and strategy. And the very end of the lecture, he says, if you want to uh, be a really good movie marketer, you should predict the box office every weekend. Oh. And I'm sitting there <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, I got to say something. Like, I got to tell this mm. guy, I, like, finally, after 10 years, like, this is going to pay off. So <laughs> I raise my hand and I say, hey, uh, Mr. Goldstein, I actually I do predict the box office every weekend and I'm I'm pretty good at it. I'm I'm top 20 in the world. And <gasps> he looks at me and he goes, that's a bunch of bullshit. There's nobody does that for fun. And I was like, no, 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 I do. I do. And give me a movie. I'll <laughs> predict it for you. And so he gave me a movie on the spot. I gave him a number. And he was he kind of looked astonished and he goes, that's exactly what our box office tracking service told us. And we paid Damn. these guys millions of dollars a year and they have access wow. to data you don't have access to. So that kind of got me on my way and a lot of other things happened along that way uh, that I'll, I'll spare you from. But that was that was like my first foot in the door to kind of get into the industry. That's incredible. That sounds like a made up story. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't tried to bring this talent to like the horse racing tracks or anything like that. It's so funny. People ask me that a lot. They're like, well, if you can do it for movies, you can do it for stocks. No, my bank account will tell you I cannot do it for stocks. Like I've, <laughs> I, I've tried and no, it's just movies. I was, I wanted to be a director, you know, like I, I definitely wanted to be a Spielberg when I was a kid. And then I realized, hmm, I'm not really that good at that, but I'm good at the predicting thing. And that's kind of just as fun in a way. You started doing this around 13. Is that right? Yeah, it was the first Spider-Man that came out in May 2002. 2002. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. That movie is wow. the only movie that my dad ever brought my brother and I, I thought that to was the Spider movie theater. Spider-Man 1. He oh. brought us the movie. Th my dad's not a big fan of the movies or especially going to the movie theater. That movie, he's like, we're going to the theater. So it holds a special place in our hearts. I just remembered my eighth grade, I think it was eighth grade school trip. Um, when you're in eighth grade, like everyone goes to New York City or at least used to go to New York City. But our year we couldn't go because of 9-11. So instead of the eighth grade school trip to New York City, we went to see Spider-Man. Wow. Wow. That's quite a story. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. I, I like, <laughs> well, I was just, you know, the story about, about the marketing for Spider-Man 9-11 actually played a pretty big role there. Yes. This was what I loved about marketing when I was a kid and they don't really do it anymore, but they would make teasers. They would film like scenes just for a teaser. It had nothing to do with the film itself. And so for Spider-Man, they filmed this whole chase sequence that ended with him catching the bad guys, I think it was a helicopter, in a web that was between the Twin Towers. Like there was a whole teaser that featured the Twin, oh. like the Twin Towers were the main roles. And um, right. the goalposts. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's get down to business here. We have asked you on the podcast today, Chris, because we have been feeling very down about where the future of Hollywood is heading or if Hollywood is even alive currently. But you, my friend, expressed optimism. We don't really go through any numbers. We're not, we're not looking at box office results or even streaming numbers. So I'd love to know what you're seeing that is making you feel optimistic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think uh, I'm happy to be the resident security blanket here. Yes, with, please. 
the caveat that like I'm the guy that A.O. Scott probably hates. Like I'm the suit. <laughs> you and Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, I mean, they haven't called me for the Capital One commercials yet, but I know, I know when he finally kicks it, I'm next in line. What's in your wallet? Seriously, guys, call me. I have two of your cards and I owe a lot of money on them. So um, I, it, I think where he was coming from is, I mean, all of his, like, I was just kind of nodding my head along with him the whole, the whole podcast, because all of his points are true. Um, and I think from the perspective of a film critic, it is a very scary time because um, in a lot of different ways, like discourse is just going away. And I don't think that's limited to movies, right? Um, Chris, are you on Letterboxd? I am, but I, I feel like I'm slacking. I, I always like cheat on it with IMDb what and I need that? to get back to Letterboxd. So Letterboxd is an app where uh, the users basically post film reviews. Basically, film criticism has moved to Letterboxd where you can write a sentence review. It's sort of like Twitter, but for oh, film. Okay. Um, and I think that is where film criticism is happening now it's happening with oh what does my friend think about this movie what does this really funny person who lives in i don't know ohio think about this movie instead of what does a.o scott think about this movie no i think it's i think it's a great point that you know i think there's a lot of other factors going on besides just what the industry is releasing or focusing on i think there i know he doesn't see it as gatekeeping and i appreciate reading a really good critical review of a movie like i think it's a I think the way he phrased it was it was like talking to your friend or you had like a guide walking you through the movie. And I, yeah. I get that, but I also get why a lot of people don't want to go to the New York Times and read a review from somebody who they think is in this ivory tower. And it's just it's it's not the way that people vet their content anymore. It's It's an outdated way of vetting content. Nobody does it for anything else. I don't think anybody looks... Nobody reads a restaurant review anymore. Most people go and they look at the Google reviews or the Yelp reviews. Um, mm -hmm. And it's sad because I think it's an art form and it's it is dying. And I think Rotten Tomatoes is terrible. I'd be happy to go on a tangent about that. Um, <laughs> it's bad. It used to be good back in like mid 2000s. Now it's bad. Now it's bad. Yeah. I mean, Metacritic is is better because it's at least looking at the average review. It's not just using this binary system of fresh or rotten. But so, yes, from his perspective, I can understand why it's a scary time. And yes, the industry is dominated by franchises. And, you know, especially when you look at things like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it starts to feel more like an assembly line than a, a film um, where, you know, there's a there's a singular creative voice guiding that. So I get that, but I think there's a lot to be optimistic about. Um, if you just start off with the numbers, it is like amazing over the last six months how quickly the theatrical box office has come back. Um, and there was like a little bit of a rough start when COVID started to wane, like I guess maybe like late 2021. Um like Spider-Man came out and that did incredible business. It was one of the biggest movies of all time. And then Hollywood, I think, got cold feet and they left the release calendar basically empty for a huge chunk of 2022. Um, so it wasn't that people weren't going. It's that there wasn't enough product in, in the marketplace. Why do you think that happened? There were a few different false starts with like, we're back, like movie theaters are back. And yeah studios got burned a couple times like that movie the Christopher Nolan movie Tenet they kind of forced that one into theaters when COVID was still like really raging I remember that <laughs> they're like risk your life to see this movie I, was yeah. like, um, I don't I don't think so Pass. I don't it was so tone deaf and and yep. on top of it the movie I'm sorry if there's anybody here who's gonna it's not defend good no, it's not, not good. good. No. no. <laughs> it's quite bad. But I'm excited if, for his next one. I am too. And I I love Nolan. But if your lead actor is saying, oh, yeah, I was filming scenes and I didn't know what it was about. Like, I didn't know what the movie was about <laughs> while I was. That's oh, probably not a good God. sign. No. Not great. So not great. 
I think the industry got burnt by a couple of those false starts and they decided to kind of hold their chips closer to the vest and, and wait until everybody was kind of waiting for someone else to make a big move and nobody was really making that big move. Um, and it wasn't really until uh, this past winter or actually, no, I'm sorry, let's go back to May 2022 when Top Gun came out. Top Gun We can't not talk about Top Gun. <laughs> Good movie. Good movie. Got me to the theater. I'm, I'm watching it right now. I just have it on. on a <laughs> <laughs> and I think that finally started to convince people like, oh, okay, let's let's fill out the calendar a little bit more. But it was it was too late for studios to make quick changes. And so you're really not seeing the impact of that until the last four or five months, starting with Avatar Studios are now, you know, you're seeing at least a two wide releases every weekend. And a lot of them are, are overperforming. They're not just doing okay. You're seeing movies like Creed reach the highest box office uh, of its franchise. You're seeing Puss in Boots gross 50% more than the original Puss in Boots, even though it came out 10 years ago. You're seeing originals like Megan and Cocaine Bear. Um knock at the cabin you could technically call an original movie like it there's some diversity finally going on with the movies that are succeeding and on the other hand you're seeing movies like ant-man quantum mania uh disappoint like really disappoint so i kind of wanted to say to ao scott like brother just hang in there a little bit longer because i think it's it's getting brighter you know what time it is we're gonna call our mom Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Can you hear us? Oh, Mom. Hey, I've got the two boys and I get the girl on the right and I get the grandchildren here too. So I don't know if Ashley's been talking about Shia LaBeouf, her former childhood crush. Uh, it got us thinking. Did you have a celebrity childhood crush? Oh, yes, indeed. They were two big, big ones back then. Hot uh -huh. heartthrobs, as they would call them. Heartthrobs. One, one was in the Partridge family. <laughs> David Cassidy. But I like Johnny Osmond better than David Cassidy. What was the Partridge family? The Partridge oh, family. They were a band on the road. Oh, it was a lovely little show about a family who. I think her husband was gone and she was raising five kids and they became a band. Yes. Yeah, and they, like they made their, they made a bus into a, a tour bus. And so they had fun. Do they sing songs? Yeah. He had long hair and he had like a shell necklace, all the seventies hair. There's just so much hair on these these gentlemen <laughs> there it's was just a like a helmet of hair, of hair. It was like going down yeah. under their chins and around to the other <laughs> side <laughs> it's called the shag the shag you know what i heard <laughs> yesterday on a commercial I your first influencer <laughs> is your mother so you all should give me a lot of credit because I was your first influencer. Let's uh, get the Renee Fluencer hashtag trending. Let's trend. Yeah. Let's yep. trend. I can show you some other really cool influential things. Oh, boy. There you go. Thank you for chatting with us, Mom. It was my absolute delight and pleasure. You and now I'm like you could be on NPR. <laughs> I love you guys. Can't wait to see you soon. Love Bye. you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey. Hey, guys. Hello. Hi. I have, a, I have a question for you. Oh, go ahead. Are you ready? Y yeah, go ahead. Do you like merch? Uh, If you mean haunted basement merch, then yeah. Whoa! Do we have merch for you, baby? What do we got? We got shirts. We got hats. We got totes. We also have stickers. That's right, that's right. Listen, we've got the Haunted Basement Ghosties on most of the merch. The Ghosties was a Bubba Serrato original design way back in, I don't know, 2018, when Haunted Basement was the seed of an idea. And it's a cool little design that you can wear 
on your body. Put our logo on your body. So as a special thank you for being a Haunted Basement podcast listener, we are offering all of our listeners free shipping using the code... Boo. B-O-O. Boo. B-O-O, baby. Type in B-O-O and you get free shipping. Free shipping. Go to our website, hauntedbasement.video slash shop to check out the merch. Free shipping, baby. Boo. You know what I like to say? I like to say, pick it out and put it on. Pick it out, put it on. And represent. If you're enjoying this show, if you enjoy Haunted Basement, buy some merch, goddammit. And that's it. We love merch. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Ciao. Be well. Ciao. Ciao. Do you think that IP-driven movies are on their way out? No. No. I think I think they're here to stay. Why do you think Marvel movies have now succeeded for over two decades and they're still a cultural behemoth why why do you think they differ from um for example like let's go all the way back to 1940s 1950s mgm musical mgm was was the top studio in the industry because they made the best musicals but they couldn't sustain that for more than two decades three decades it's a good question um I mean, I think there were a few things that were working really well in the first 10, 15 years. Um, first off, I think that's like when special effects really, really broke through in a way that, it, you know, I, I still remember seeing like Daredevil and I don't know what year that was, 2002, 2003. And like the effects weren't quite there yet. And it was really only like the really big movies that had high quality special effects. But then... It felt like starting around the time of Iron Man, it, it, really good special effects weren't just reserved for like the A-list properties. It was a, it was a little bit more democratized. And so um, it was easier to create big screen spectacle. Um, and I, I also just think that studios started to crack the code and they realized, oh, we should just like, let's not be embarrassed of the source material. Let's be a little bit more faithful to it. Let's treat it for what it is. It's a, it's a comic book. Let's not try to, uh, I don't know, put our own spin on it and, and trust that the fans like this for a reason. And Marvel did a, a great job of that. Um, and they did a really good job of interlocking these stories in a way that felt organic. It didn't feel forced and it didn't necessarily feel like you had to be paying attention to every, it didn't feel like homework. Um, it was really easy to like see Captain America but not see Thor and you still knew what was going on. But if you did see both, there was a, it, you felt like you were in on something. You were like part of the club. I want to add like a half-baked theory that um, the Marvel universe, the DC universe being almost the cinematic equivalent of watching, you know, a series on Netflix because oh they're gosh. just. Sorry. What, what, oh my gosh. And then I just got. <laughs> oh, oh, oh my gosh. Let's I hear have it. A slightly... Let's hear it. I have a different theory I just came up with while you were <laughs> going through that. Oh my gosh. You know how I said Marvel movies were the Beatles? Yes. I have a of, different of theory. our generation. Okay, let's yeah, hear it. Yeah, yeah. Marvel movies are Taylor Swift. It's me. Okay, you gotta you gotta walk me through this one. Okay, because Taylor Swift is like notorious for having like Easter eggs and you have to look for all the clues and all her music and people eat it up and they like they're so excited whenever one of her albums come out and then they can't wait for the next story and what's that going to be about and oh my gosh blah 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 and I mean she became popular about the same time Marvel movies really took off if you're talking 20 years yeah, ago 2004 2005 yeah. I bet they have more overlap in their fan base than you'd expect and for maybe all the same reasons like people just like are just so excited and looking for clues and things and what it's going to be about and 
that's my theory. Yeah. Taylor Swift. I, inter- you know, I like that. I guess I, I appreciate that, Ash. Because I, what I'm trying to say is like, there is this serialized thing happening with the Marvel Universe and yeah. the successive films that are adding on to a like a larger storyline, right? Mm-hmm. And that happens in a lot of the shows that we stream. And I'm just wondering whether, you know, that is just a new way that we kind of consume media, you know? Like we look for the longevity of it. I think both theories have a lot of... um traction there you know like i i do think that there was something that people liked about the serialization of it like following this longer story um Mm -hmm. and then to the taylor swift metaphor i I like i think that i I could see it ashley because thank you they (laughs) the marvel movies were they they kind of conjured this emotional reaction among people and i think they felt I'm going to get roasted for this, but like it kind of made people feel a little smarter than they were, but it really wasn't that hard to follow. Like it was just like an Easter egg here, a reference there. And that's like kind of Taylor Swift too. Like I love her music, but it's still pretty surface level for me. Like I I don't think, I think she gets a lot of And everyone thinks they're like a genius when they figure something out. (laughs) I have just unlocked the code of the universe. (laughs) Right. It's like, and it's, oh, it was about another one of her ex-boyfriends. Like, great. We all, we all cracked it. (laughs) So I do think there was a little bit of that. And then Marvel bit off a little bit more than it could chew. It kind of, it closed this natural storyline, the, the Thanos Mm -hmm. infinity war, the infinity gauntlet storyline killed off their money makers, man. Exactly. And they just didn't lay the foundation as well as they did with Iron Man, where they created this Mm -hmm. character that people universally fell in love with. Yeah, the special effects were really cool, but it was Robert Downey Jr. And they just weren't able to capture that lightning in a bottle again after Endgame. Even Paul Rudd can't do it. He can, even though we all love him. Do you think Marvel has succeeded because they've blurred the lines between television and movies? Because what separates like a 20 movie run of a Marvel franchise from being just a long, very expensive TV series? This is why we make such a good threesome here, because AJ just said eloquently what Ashley and I were trying to say with (laughs) Taylor Swift metaphors. But they've infiltrated the TV now, too, because I really actually like that. uh, Oh, my God, I don't even remember the name of the show with Elizabeth Olsen. WandaVision. Uh, Wanda, WandaVision. Yeah. I really like that show. Well, they've brought they brought film quality special effects to television that further blurs the line between what is a movie visual effect and what is a TV visual effect, what's movie pro- production value, what's TV production value. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up thinking that a movie was two hours long, sometimes it's three hours long. And now with Marvel movies, it feels like a movie can be 20 hours long. It can be 30 hours long. Yeah, you you they come out in two-hour chunks, mm-hmm. but it does feel like a TV series more than a movie to me. A TV series or, I you know, Scorsese's been in this long, one-sided feud with, with Marvel fans that I don't think he even knows he's in, but he, he described <laughs> them as uh, amusement park rides, right? Like, right. I think it's a great description. They're really fun while you ride them. You walk off and you don't really think about it anymore. You know, Scorsese's new movie is three and a half hours long. I'm like, Jesus oh Christ, God. man. I like your movies, but my butt hurts at the end of this. Make them longer. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there opening day. But like, man, it's What's a long one. What's new movie? Um, it's got Leo DiCaprio. It's got De Niro. Oh. It's um, Killers of the Flower Moon, I think it's called. Isn't that coming out on Apple Plus? Well, Killers of the Flower Moon is a, is a great encapsulation of where the industry is at and where it's headed because... Um, Scorsese's last movie, The Irishman, came out yeah. on Netflix, right? It was an exclusive Netflix release. They gave it like a courtesy run in a handful of theaters. Um, I saw it in theaters. I did too. Uh, I and it was great. On my couch. Yeah, it was great. My butt really hurt, but I know if I watched <laughs> that on Netflix, I would have watched it in nine installments. So I was so yeah, grateful. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that movie made a, an outsized impact for a streaming release. Uh, people were talking about it. It got nominated for Oscars. 
But it still felt like it was kind of confined to the world of film Twitter that, you know, it was really just the Mm -hmm. film buffs who were talking about it. And this is a director who his last four or five movies all grossed well over a hundred million dollars. They were all big, big, broad hits. Um, And so now we're coming to Killers of the Flower Moon, a similar deal. You've got some big stars in it. You've got DiCaprio, you've got De Niro. It's three and a half hours long, but... Apple TV Plus realized that just releasing something on a streaming platform is not enough to get people to talk about it, to care about it, to get into the cultural zeitgeist. It's got to go to theaters. And so they struck a deal with, I think, Paramount. And Paramount's going to give it a real release, not this phony Oscar qualifying run. Like this is going to be in thousands of theaters. It's going to feel like a big release. And I think it'll pay off. Three and a half hours is a long time. Baby. Well, Scorsese, he's one of the one of the greats. I know. It's also so funny to talk about run times now because like this comes up almost nightly where I pitch watching like, you know, a, a movie, an hour and a half long movie to my wife. And she's like, no, it's too long. Like, let's just watch an episode of something that turns out to be like 50 minutes long for an episode mm-hmm. of whatever we're watching. Yeah, we'll watch two of those episodes it's like so we could have just That's watched what i'm saying like <laughs> the, the blurring, movie and the blurring yeah. of tv and movies i know but now if if we're doing it right like we all said we want to do it right we have to go to the movie theater so that's going to be throw out a, those sweatpants put on that's the jeans gonna be a four hour excursion basically yeah four and a half if you want to get dinner it's much easier when you don't have kids <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I won't see you for two days. I'm going to the movies. <laughs> How would you describe the difference between looking at box office predictions or making box office predictions and streaming viewership forecasts? Like, are is it pretty similar, or is it just a whole new ball game with with streaming services? It it is a little bit of a whole new ball game, and I wish I could say that I am the expert on predicting streaming viewership. But because it's it's so different and it's so guarded, right? Like each streamer right. has their own metrics they care about. They most of them don't even release them to the public, um, and right. so it's hard. Like that's what was so great about the box office is everybody's playing by the same rules. It's the same Cold measurement. Yeah, yeah right. it, it's public. It's, mm-hmm. you, yeah. It can't it can't be hidden. And I that's what I love about it still today. So streaming is tougher. Um, and there's also a little bit more of a I do know this from working with the streamers is that there's a little bit more of a slow burn approach to the marketing. They're not trying to get people rushing out the first weekend of a release to watch something. They could mostly care less. They just want to uh, drive stronger perceptions of the streaming service itself. It's not necessarily about that movie or that series. It's just Netflix has the best movies and series or Amazon Prime Video has the best movies and series. So they're okay letting something come out to little fanfare, but then marketing more after it's out or just relying on word of mouth to to get people into it. Um, So it's just a different calculation, I guess. What about something like, um, oh, God, I don't know the names of anything anymore, but like the Murder Club, Adam Sandler. Murder what about the Murder Club? <laughs> murder, murder Mystery 2, <laughs> yeah. where it's like, it's a, a huge budget production and it's only out on Netflix. Oh, what about something like that? Like, it, do they still not care or are they just going to bank on the fact that when you're sick on a Tuesday, you'll probably watch the latest Adam Sandler movie on Netflix? It's a little bit of both. And it's a really good example. I actually I did work on on tracking that that movie for Netflix. And oh. I can you tell one you viewer right here. It was <laughs> huge. Welcome, Murder Chris. Club. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Keeping me in, <laughs> keeping me employed by watching Murder Club, too. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Adam Sandler. <laughs> 
That one is that one does operate a little bit more like a theatrical release. You're totally okay. right. Um, that makes me it's, feel a little better. Yeah, it's branded. It's a sequel. It's right. it's got Sandler and Jennifer Aniston. You kind of know what to expect. And so they did for that one. Um, they did push that one a little bit more like a like a theatrical studio yeah. would. A lot more money spent. A lot more uh, interviews. Like a lot more publicity. On TV. Yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. Because I think they're also. I think Netflix and and a lot of other streamers are seeing that just by giving a film a big marketing push and putting it in theaters and eventizing it and commoditizing it um, and making it something that isn't just easily accessible anywhere at any time, it it does help build anticipation for that for that it film does, or yeah. series. Can you tell us a little bit about what goes into a marketing strategy, marketing program for a big budget movie? A specific question for me is, does studio marketing begin when the script is finalized? Oftentimes, it begins even before that, if it's for a branded property. Um, For example... We started our marketing strategy for the classic movie, Men in Black International, um, mm-hmm. before we even <laughs> before we even knew what that movie was about. I, you know, we, oh, wow. we were having our early meetings um, trying to figure out the, the strengths. And we knew that Will Smith wasn't coming back. That was basically the only thing we knew. But um, there's still no to Men get in Black without Will Smith. Yeah. Oh yeah. God! It, it, yeah, it, it, it came and went. It came oh, no. and went is a great way to describe it. Um, <laughs> I oh. I always kind of was scratching my head when we were in those early marketing meetings. Uh, we were trying to think about you know what's what's um new and distinctive about this installment, and it's pretty weird that for a franchise that's about like the universe and the galaxy, that the big new thing was that they went to France. Yep. <laughs> Is a screenwriter or the director, are they even hired for that project at that point? Like, do you guys give the marketing plan to the screenwriter and the filmmaker? You're like, okay, make something out of this. Sometimes, yes. Um, You know, sometimes, for example, um, we made the first Venom movie with Tom Hardy. And uh, the movie outperform basically anybody's expectations it, it now the the reviews weren't that great but people actually generally liked it they were pleasantly surprised at how goofy it was and how how tom hardy really went for it mm-hmm. it was so um, scary for me <laughs> <laughs> did you see it or did it seem too scary it seemed too scary <laughs> no that's interesting because it. it's interesting because we we purposely went with like a really dark marketing campaign because well chris it worked on me again you scared my sister chris you Come on. scared yeah. me <laughs> that was really our goal was to scare the shit out of ashley from paying <laughs> to go see that movie that, that's, what, that's marketing so <laughs> yeah we we marked because like the fans we knew that we we were doing research and doing focus groups and um the fans really wanted venom to be dark and scary and violent and um uh, this is I'm kind of getting off track, but I think it's a funny story. We were doing focus groups for for the first Venom and we were showing respondents some early scenes. The movie still wasn't finished yet. It was probably halfway through production. And we showed them a few scenes of Tom Hardy trying to make an omelet uh, with Venom's tentacles uh, comedically getting in his way and the the crowd hated it the focus group just absolutely hated it and one guy got up from the table looked at the double paned glass basically looked me in the eye and he said <laughs> don't fuck this up sony oh, <laughs> where where do you find oh these people where, where are they where do they come I know. from who are they <laughs> i don't we were talking about this before you came on like we you know hear about focus groups all the time but you never meet someone that's been in a focus group or in like a pre-screening or anything like that they're all clones (laughs) (laughs) i know where are you growing these people and then we dispose of them that's a great that's a great idea for a movie um 
if you if you live in um Southern California, Arizona, and that's about it, you are very likely <laughs> to be hit up for a focus group. Uh otherwise, we don't talk to anybody else. So if you, if you hate the movie industry, blame the people of Arizona and Southern California because that's that's yeah. usually who we talk to. But actually, that focus group, I think, was in Germany. I think that was a German guy. Um, (laughs) I guess I guess the point I was trying to get to, though, was that like we um, so we did the first Venom, big success. um, But people saw the movie and they were like, that was a little goofier than I expected based on the marketing. (laughs) It wasn't I thought it was going to be scary and dark. And I got um, like a buddy comedy and, and some people liked it and some people said, okay, you fooled me once, but I don't I don't want that again. And so we did this post-mortem study on Venom and, and on people who watched the first movie and people who hated it or people who skipped it. And then that did get presented to the, you know, the head of the studio. And I would assume passed along to, you know, they they changed directors between the first movie and the second movie. Um, I think they kept the same writer. And so those things do, you know, sometimes get into the hands of filmmakers just to help them with the creative process. You know, like, yes, we want you to have some creative freedom. But at the same time, especially when you're working with IP, why would you make something that people are telling you they don't like or they don't want? Can you give us an example of marketing for a non IP driven film? Like, um, what did you work on a Greta Gerwig film while you were at Sony? Yeah, yeah. I worked on Little Women and uh, um, I worked Love on it. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that same year. It was like an amazing year. Okay, so Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think felt a little bit more straightforward because Quentin Tarantino had a string of box office hits. You've got two of the most recognizable movie stars in the world in Leo and Brad. Um, honestly, our the, the mandate there was uh, don't don't screw it up. Right. Like, yeah, just put your best assets forward. Let's not get caught up in the story or the fact that there really wasn't a story in that movie. Um, no. It's just, just just sell the stars. Just a nice, it's a nice cruise around L.A. That movie. It's just a hangout movie, really. You know, um, except for the ending where it's violent. Oh, he was he was so funny in the first test screening for that movie. Even he thought that scene was too violent, which I think is kind of a crazy a crazy thing to think about. It's pretty violent, but it's enjoyable. He he said something along the lines of, I put in eight head slams thinking that they would make me cut it down to four, but I think he got all of his head slams. Yeah. He didn't have to cut it. Quite a bit. (laughs) So for for Little Women, that was a bigger challenge because, yeah, there were a lot of people who read and loved the book, but there had been, I think, three adaptations of that book. And so you get to a point with people, everybody we talked to would say, well, like, why do we need another one? What, what are we going to learn? You know, what, what new information, what different type of spin are we going to get on this movie? Um, and that was a big challenge. And also did period you say pieces are Timothée Chalamet? <laughs> <laughs> that's a, have, yes. Uh, that's a great pronunciation. <laughs> I know. I loved it. Timothée. <laughs> We just I ran that. Heard. That was our digital I heard ad. People say that. <laughs> Timothée Chalamet, and then we just watched the money pile up. He helped a lot. He definitely helped a lot. Um, and I think we sometimes just when you release a movie makes a big difference. And I think I can't take credit for this. It was Christmas. It was, and so it didn't all hinge on opening weekend. Christmas is like a uh it's just a money making machine that week between the 25th and new year's every day is like a weekend day so we knew we had a great movie and so it was really more about let's put it on one of the biggest movie going days of the year christmas day let's sell that it's a movie for the whole family um let's try to stay away from the periodness of it like the period piece nature of it and more let's amplify these these performances that feel like they could be from today, right? They, they, the actors didn't really feel like they were speaking as if they were in the, the 1800s. Um, and, and honestly, I, I'd like to take more credit for it, but I think the movie did 
a lot of the heavy lifting because after those first couple of days, word of mouth just spread like wildfire. Um, and it, yeah, it ended up performing great. Should we do quick hits? Let's do quick hits. Quick hits. Let's do quick hits. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Did you even say the information about O-H-T? Wow, so dramatic. Uh, the information, <laughs> the information that being that Chris was once uh, a fantastic anchor, uh, better than Zach Guzman. Huh? Whoa, oh, shots fired, Zach. Boo, 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 boo. Yeah, well, he can come on the pod and defend himself if he wants to. But uh, yeah, yeah, he can so, talk to you about how uh, you know people only use cryptocurrency to go see movies or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, he's doing great. It's it's so it's amazing how many um, OHT alums are doing so well and are so successful and um yeah chris you are the third oht alum on oht the alum, alum podcast, the podcast. Uh, yes Yo. we're changing the name to OHT, the alum podcast <laughs> um i guess technically you're the fourth because i was the first oh, so, oh all right wow okay um, all right it's yeah. time to do anyway, quick hits quick hits here we go quick hits let's do quick hits we just need a definitive answer from chris is Hollywood dead? Not even close. Oh, right. hey, here we go. Also, I need to say yes, or else like I lose my job and I have to go yeah. do market research for for Crest toothpaste. You know, oh, but no. you have to go back to selling stamps. Whoa. it's not dead. It's not dead. It's it's not alive even and well. Close, honey. Okay, okay. Uh, favorite Spielberg movie? Ooh. Ah. <sighs> Okay, can, I'm going to cheat and I'll give you two answers. That's uh, like, fine. Purely based on craft and and what it did, Jaws, I think, is amazing. Like, I oh, love I Jaws. There was somebody who was just posting a scene on Twitter the other day of when Brody is is getting accosted by the mayor's guys on the ferry. And it's like a this beautiful long take shot. The yep. one like yep. that I never even noticed before. So I, I think so that clever. is just mm-hmm. such a good movie. But um, my heart says hook. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> yeah. What? That's great. That is that a great is good answer. One. That is a good one. We're, we're cutting you off at every second. Why? Give us your give us your, your thoughts. We're just gonna react to everything <laughs> yeah, and not sorry. let him talk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys need to get that womp 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 <laughs> because I feel like we could have used it like 18 times this episode. Um you're talking to a guy who dressed up as Captain Hook, not once, but twice when he was a kid. That's how oh. great I thought Dustin Hoffman was in that role. Like, Very I, I still think he doesn't get enough credit for the scenery chewing he did there. It was phenomenal. Who was your celebrity crush growing up? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Um, this is something that probably nobody knows um and sorry to my wife who's listening i mean you know my wife is my only crush ever even when i didn't know Mm -hmm. she existed but um (laughs) it was i had a lot but kirsten dunst in spider-man i I know i'm bringing on back home yes full circle (laughs) (laughs) that upside down kiss and like she was just i don't know there was something about her this is why you were doing the uh the box office predictions for spider-man like you were just so excited to see kristen dunn's do her thing there might be some truth to that actually yeah maybe it really (laughs) (laughs) maybe she'll notice me if i give her her box office prediction yeah yeah there you go oh man well, Good thank stuff. you so much for joining you, us in the basement, Chris. Yeah. This has been really fun. And this was very delightful. I yeah. enjoyed this it episode. Was. Yeah, I've it was learned, a pleasure. I've laughed and I've lived. Yeah. <laughs> you should I you think, should make a I sign out have. of that. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you all. Really, it was. I had a blast, and um, hopefully, I. I there are some coherent thoughts in there. Oh, there definitely were. We're gonna we're gonna edit in some womp womp womps and uh, <laughs> and hopefully we get you back down in the basement soon. Thanks, y'all. Have a great you one. You too. Bye. Bye. Did you say Timothy Chalamet? <laughs>